Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, Radio Havana Cuba, and NHK World Radio Japan. We will begin with France 24. I do the final production for the shortwave report on Thursday mornings, and today Boris Johnson has resigned as Prime Minister of the UK. So the reports I had about the possibility that this might happen are going to be replaced by a survey of Johnson's political arc. Then a piece on what the U.S. Supreme Court ruling on environmental protections might mean for the global effort to attain the Paris Accords on climate change. France 24. From a bumbling MP known for his mop of silver blonde hair to the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Boris Johnson has been dismissed by critics as a political clown, but some would argue his buffoonish image was a mere ploy to camouflage his ruthless ambition. Johnson entered politics in 2001 as MP for the conservative stronghold of Henley. But it was during his two terms as mayor of London that he became a household political name, taking center stage during the 2012 Olympics. By the end of his tenure, it was clear he was eyeing up bigger things. Johnson swapped his pro-immigration and pro-Europe politics that had won over London for more conservative views to pander to the rightward swing in the Tory party. And having toyed with supporting Remain in the 2016 EU referendum, Johnson became the poster boy of the Leave campaign, pitting himself against pro-European Prime Minister David Cameron. A bet which eventually paid off. After David Cameron's resignation in the wake of the Brexit vote, Johnson vied to succeed him in number 10. But first, he served as foreign minister in Theresa May's government. After a series of blunders, he resigned in July 2018, adding that he couldn't accept May's deal with the EU. Almost a year later, the prime minister herself became Brexit's second casualty as she lost the support of her party and stepped down. May's resignation sparked a contest for a new leader, which Johnson won, running on an uncompromising platform of delivering on Brexit. We're going to fulfill the repeated promises of Parliament to the people and come out of the EU for the first time. Another roll of the dice by Johnson paid off in December 2019, a snap election securing the Conservatives their biggest majority in Parliament since Margaret Thatcher in the 1980s. A resounding victory that gave the then 56-year-old a mandate to sign the trade deal that finally sealed his Brexit. But his tenure at Downing Street will equally be remembered for the COVID crisis, with over 180,000 deaths, and Partygate, which saw him and his team flout COVID regulations. The scandal led to a confidence vote within the ranks of the Tory party, which he survived by the scruff of his neck, 
but the whiff of controversy clung on to him, meaning Boris Johnson won't just go down in history as a prime minister who took the UK out of the EU. And joining me now is France 24's environment editor, Valerie de Kimp. Uh, Valerie, first of all, does this ruling mean that the Environmental Protection Agency can't curb emissions at all? Well, the ruling doesn't completely eliminate the Environmental Protection Agency, the authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. But what it has done is limit uh, its ability to do so, seriously limit its ability to do so. So the EPA can still use small measures to regulate greenhouse gas emissions in individual power plants. Uh, but its scope of action has been limited to put in place the kind of sweeping rules that the country needs in order to transform form the energy sector and respond to the urgency of climate change. Um, and this case was brought by several uh, Republican-led states. Uh, and essentially, in its decision, the Supreme Court sided with West Virginia, a major coal mining state, arguing that only Congress had the authority to uh, uh, transform and uh, shape, reshape the American economy by limiting pollution. And there's no doubt that this is one of the most significant uh, environmental rulings by the U.S. Supreme Court ever. And what's very unusual about this case is that it was based upon the clean power plan. And that was a plan unveiled by Obama in order to limit pollution from coal-fired power plants. That plan never actually went into effect. It does not. It's regulation that does not exist. Uh, the Supreme Court blocked it in 2016. So essentially now they went against some a regulation that does not exist. And that is something very alarming, according to environmentalists, because they are wondering, what will the court do next in the next climate change uh, case? And even one of the justices, Alina Kagan, who uh, went against the Supreme Court decision, she noted that saying the Supreme Court, essentially, uh, they could not wait to limit federal efforts to actually combat climate change. There will be real repercussions from this decision. There's no doubt there's a high chance that Biden won't be able to meet his targets to uh, limit greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. That is the first deadline set under the Paris Agreement. As a reminder, the U.S. vowed to uh, cut uh, greenhouse gas emissions in half in the next decade and then become carbon neutral by 2050. The White House and Congress, they have some tools in order to meet that target. But now with that Supreme Court uh, decision. Uh, it's becoming increasingly difficult, mathematically speaking, to get there. Uh, so there's a bill in a uh, spending bill in Congress at the moment, Biden's reconciliation bill that includes tax uh, credits for renewable energy for electric cars. Um, if it goes through, uh, that would mean that Biden would get one third to half the way towards meeting that target. But it's been stalled for more than a year now. And I think it's also important to note, uh, you know, what does it mean if uh, the U.S., the largest emitter, the second largest emitter of greenhouse gas emissions in the world, if the U.S. does not meet its targets, then it means that the world probably will not be able to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, the uh, objective set under the Paris Agreement. And you also need to think about what does it mean for the rest of the world, for countries that are not on track to meet their targets, that are resisting change and they are not doing what needs to be done? Well, if the U.S., again, the second largest emitter in the world, does not respect the Paris Agreement, well, what it means is that it, it loses all credibility. And so there's a real risk that that can happen. Valerie de Kim, thank you.
Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as on a YouTube channel called France 24 English. Next, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Quick reports on an avalanche in Italy, repeating floods in Australia, fires in Spain, and the drought in Europe. Then a report on European nations trying to come to terms with climate change. By the way, 40 degrees Celsius is 104 degrees Fahrenheit. EU lawmakers voted to classify nuclear and gas power plants as sustainable investments, which many call greenwashing. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Now, a heatwave in Italy may have been responsible for the partial collapse of a glacier that killed at least seven people. Thirteen hikers are still missing. The Marmalada Glacier in the Dolomite Mountains has lost a third of its volume over recent years. Prime Minister Mario Draghi said climate change has contributed to its deterioration. Rescue efforts have resumed, but hopes of finding survivors are fading. Days of torrential rain have caused destructive flooding around New South Wales on Australia's east coast. 50,000 people have been told to leave their homes. Some Sydney residents are dealing with their fourth floods in two years. Spanish firefighters are battling a wildfire near the eastern city of Valencia. Local crews have called in military units to assist. Emergency services fear the blaze could spread to a nearby nature reserve. Italy has declared a state of emergency as millions grapple with the worst drought in the country in 70 years. Water levels have dropped to record lows in lakes and rivers in the north of the country, and residents in some areas are now facing restrictions on how much water they can use. Europe is sweltering under one of its earliest and hottest heat waves on record. Scientists say climate change is driving unseasonably high temperatures. Tonight, we take a look at how some countries are trying to adapt, coming to terms with global warming that is here to stay. Blazing fires and scorching droughts. In the face of rising temperatures, European nations are looking for ways to adapt to this new normal. In Spain, a combination of extreme heat and dry conditions sparked the outbreak of forest fires across the country. The June heat wave drove temperatures above 40 degrees Celsius in multiple regions, as high as 14 degrees above the monthly average. Nestled in the arid heart of the country, the capital Madrid sweltered in the unseasonably brutal heat. Trees like this one here are being brought in as a saviour because Madrid is building a green belt around the city. This means basically that trees are being planted in the gaps that are between already existing parks and forests. And this should help to bring down the temperatures a bit, up to four degrees actually. And they're planting half of a million trees. This should have an effect as an air condition and basically just a very gigantic one. But these searing summers are not limited to the sunny south of Europe. With high temperatures expected to arrive earlier and last longer, countries in the north are also being forced to adapt. In Brandenburg, Germany, a lack of rain is posing a serious challenge for farmers. Years of drought have baked the already dry soil, making it even harder to store the water necessary for growing crops. 
This farm in Brandenburg is counting on regenerative agriculture to help it withstand drought and soil erosion. Regenerative agriculture is all about keeping the soil healthy, and it does so with many different techniques. At this farm, for example, they've implemented cover crops. These are crops that are planted directly onto the soil and help keep it moist instead of just being harvested. Now, regenerative agriculture is not going to solve the problem of climate change, but it can help make farms like this one in Brandenburg more resilient to heat and drought in the years to come. For countries across Europe, these approaches are helping to mitigate the effects of an ever hotter world. But mitigation alone will not be enough to solve the global challenges posed by climate change. EU lawmakers have voted to classify nuclear and gas-fired power plants as sustainable investments. But it was a close vote. Critics say the classification is greenwashing. The EU has pledged to cut carbon emissions by 55% by the end of the decade. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. The Biden administration has decided to restart oil and gas leases on public lands in the U.S., and environmental groups have responded with lawsuits. Bolivian President Arce has warned social organizations about the resurgence of the right-wing sectors who had plotted the 2019 coup d'etat against Evo Morales. Newly released video shows relative calm when Shireen Abu Akleh was murdered while covering Israeli military action in Palestine. The U.S. says that there is no absolute evidence that an Israeli soldier fired the shot. Then a viewpoint on the NATO meeting in Madrid. The peacekeeper role of the North American Treaty Organization is questioned, along with the European acceptance of the list of enemies written by Washington. Radio Havana, Cuba. Environmental groups have filed two lawsuits seeking to block the Biden administration for restarting lease sales for oil and gas wells on public lands. Together, the lawsuits seek to protect more than 140,000 acres in several western states. In April, President Biden called on the U.S. to expand fossil fuel drilling to offset a spike in fuel costs linked to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Robert Weissman, public citizen president, said in his response, quote, Selling off more public lands for drilling might help big oil, but it won't lower gas prices and will worsen climate chaos. The Joe Biden administration has unveiled a draft proposal to lease new oil and gas drilling rights in federal waters off the coasts of Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico. The climate watchdog group Oil Change International blasted the announcement as, quote, stark betrayal of President Biden's climate promises and the communities who will suffer the brunt of this drilling. Biden is choosing to stand with big oil and gas rather than the voters who elected him and who overwhelmingly want a swift transition to renewable energy. Bolivian President Luis Arce has issued a call to social organizations to maintain unity in the face of the resurgence of right-wing sectors that promoted the 2019 coup d'etat. President Arce made this warning during his speech at the second meeting of the Trade Union Confederation of Native Intercultural Communities of Bolivia, or CSCIOB, held in the city of Cobija in the department of Pando. 
During the activity, Arce warned that the right wing that promoted the overthrow of President Evo Morales intends to resurface, taking advantage of weaknesses that the ruling movement towards socialism or the MAS is showing. The Bolivian president called for reflection on the part of social organizations to understand the national reality. Quote, inside our country, the right wing is still alive. The coup plotters are reorganizing. We won the elections, but we have not defeated the right wing coup leaders, and we need to know and understand that clearly. We must not make mistakes in subsequent steps. In this sense, he called for the unity of the social sectors of the country in the face of foreign interests that would try to divide and destabilize the country. Quote, if we maintain the unity of our social organizations. The government thereby is stronger, and the government is strong. Our social organizations are thereby stronger yet again. Contradicting the regime's version of events, a newly released video shows relative calm and quietness in the area where Al Jazeera journalist Shirin Abu Akleh was killed by Israeli forces. Meanwhile, Abu Akleh's family said in a statement it was, quote, incredulous that an examination by U.S. authorities cannot determine whose gun fired the bullet that killed Abu Akleh, contradicting the regime's versions of events. Quote, we will continue to advocate for justice for Shirin and to hold the Israeli military accountable, no matter the attempts to obfuscate the reality of what happened on May the 11th. The statement added, quote, The truth is that the Israeli military killed Shireen according to policies that view all Palestinians, civilian press or otherwise, as legitimate targets. We were expecting that an American investigation would focus on finding the responsible parties and holding them accountable, barely passing over barely relevant details and assuming good faith on behalf of a hostile recalcitrant power. In addition to dividing the world into two parts, where the good guys are the NATO guys and the bad ones are the rest of us, the Spanish meeting of the military alliance treated the Russian Federation as an enemy for the first time, and China was described as a systemic challenge. These are concepts that the United States has always maintained, expressed in a policy of permanent and repeated sanctions against Moscow and attempts to curb Chinese economic and industrial development, including the tariff war implemented by Donald Trump. Far away seem those times, such as during the summit of the militarist group in Portugal in 2010, where Russia was considered a strategic partner because there was, perhaps, the hope that the Eurasian nation would bend its head or knees and accept the hegemony of the White House. With marked cynicism, the document entitled Strategic Concept assures that NATO was never a threat to the Russian Federation and that it doesn't seek confrontation. This is a lie that becomes evident just by looking at a map of how its forces have been deployed towards northeastern Europe. The Cold War was not inaugurated by the then Soviet Union, but by the West. Regarding China, a turbulent scenario is opening up, not only because of the way in which the fundamental document emanating from the summit is expressed, but also because of the presence at the Madrid meeting of representatives from Japan, South Korea, Australia and New Zealand. This shows that NATO is once again ready to cross its borders to bring its destructive power to other parts of the world, in this case in Asia and the Pacific, a threat that should not be taken lightly. Some pawns had already moved forward on this board, 
Among them, the military alliance between the United Kingdom, Australia, and the United States, known as Alcus, announced on September 15, 2021. There, by the way, Washington once again showed the contempt it has for its allies because it forced Australia to cancel an agreement with France for the construction of modern submarines valued at 56 billion euros. The Chinese response to the remarks made in Madrid came fast, and in the first declarations of the spokesman of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Xiao Lijian, he affirmed that NATO ignores reality and presents the facts upside down. He recalled that the hands of the transatlantic alliance are stained with the blood of the peoples of the world, a truth that today no one ignores and that many have experienced firsthand. Those reports and viewpoint were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu. There's no podcast links up there. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15.140 and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 6,000, 60.60, or 61.65. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached to the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue to produce this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a listener in Albion, California, did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with NHK World Radio Japan. The new South Korean president has directed the military to retaliate against any provocative actions by the North and increased U.S. military involvement. The World Health Organization has warned that coronavirus infections are surging from new subvariants. In Switzerland, a pact was signed to divide up the reconstruction cost in Ukraine. Ukraine says it will cost $750 billion. The Dalai Lama had another birthday and some Indian leaders helped to celebrate. NHK Japan South Korea's president has ordered his military to retaliate against any provocative actions taken by North Korea. It comes amid speculation that Pyongyang is preparing to conduct its seventh nuclear weapons test. North Korea's nuclear and missile threat is growing. We must punish Pyongyang swiftly and firmly if it carries out a provocation. Yung Songnyol says his country needs to build up its ability to intercept missiles and launch counterattacks. He also says South Korea's deterrence capabilities need to be enhanced through close cooperation with the U.S. On Tuesday, South Korea's defense ministry confirmed the arrival of six American F-35 stealth fighters. It says the U.S. Air Force jets will conduct drills with South Korean forces until mid-July. It's the first time the U.S. has publicized deploying the advanced aircraft to the Korean Peninsula since 2017. That's when North Korea conducted its last nuclear test.
The head of World Health Organization is warning that coronavirus infections are surging. He says the number of cases reported weekly around the globe has risen nearly 30 percent over the past two weeks. He said the latest surge is being driven by Omicron subvariants. In Europe and America, BA4 and BA5 are driving waves. In countries like India, a new sublineage of BA2.75 has also been detected, which we're following. Director General Tedros also said on Wednesday that virus testing has fallen off in many countries, obscuring the true picture. He pointed out that the protection offered by vaccines wanes as the virus evolves, even though they still help prevent serious symptoms and death. Tedros called for additional shots for people at risk, including seniors and medical workers. He urged people to keep wearing face masks in crowded places or rooms with poor ventilation. The WHO chief called for action at the global, national and local levels to fight the challenges. Here in Japan, cases are also on the rise after a period of decline. On Wednesday, the nationwide count came to 45,000 or double the figure from a week earlier. Ukrainian forces are fighting back, including with rocket systems from the United States. U.S. analysts say more and more units are targeting Russian ammunition depots and other military infrastructure. Russia's invasion is not over yet, but dozens of countries are already looking to shape Ukraine's future once the shelling stops. In Switzerland, delegates have signed a declaration outlining the best way to rebuild. About 40 countries attended a two-day conference in Lugano. The World Bank and other international bodies also took part. The talks ended Tuesday with the Lugano Declaration aimed at steering Ukraine's recovery. There are seven guiding principles which stress the need for global partnerships, transparency and gender equality. Japan's official pointed out that her country has rebuilt after World War II and multiple major natural disasters. Just how much the recovery effort will cost is unknown. The Ukrainian government already says it needs about $750 billion. Tibetan spiritual leader Dalai Lama has turned 87. In a rare move, a top local official of India's ruling party participated in birthday celebrations on Wednesday in the northern city of Dharamshala. The chief minister of Himachal Pradesh state joined the event online. He praised the Dalai Lama for fighting for the Tibetan cause in a peaceful manner. Indian leaders have generally taken a cautious approach toward the spiritual leader to avoid upsetting China, but lately they've been expressing solidarity with him. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi says on Twitter he conveyed birthday greetings to the Dalai Lama over the telephone. The exchange is seen by some as a shift in the Indian government's stance. The Tibetan spiritual leader did not attend the event as COVID cases are still on the rise in India. He's refrained from making public appearances for the past two years due to the pandemic. New Delhi recognizes Tibet as an autonomous region of China, but has territorial disputes with the country on its northern border. The Dalai Lama fled Tibet more than six decades ago after a failed uprising against Chinese rule.
Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7355 and 6165 or on the web at www.nhk.or.jp. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.